All right. Well, I'd like to invite you to grab your Bible and open to Acts chapter 15 and 16 this morning is where we'll be spending our time. You can put your bulletin or note card there. Um, before we get to the text, I do want to pray us in and uh, just have a few thoughts to share with you before we read through this text this morning. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for uh, this moment right now uh, where we have time to spend in your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will enlighten our hearts and minds, our ears, and our understanding, uh, that, God, we would be able to learn uh, life lessons this morning from your word and rightly apply them to our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I imagine you can agree with this statement. Life is full of unexpected outcomes. Isn't that true? Life is full of unexpected outcomes. Um, I can remember there was the time when, uh, after having three children, getting that phone call that we were pregnant with the fourth. That was an unexpected outcome. And on the fifth, that too was an unexpected outcome. Then I was prepared for the sixth, seventh, and eighth, and the unexpected outcome of that is my wife quit on me. Just kidding. You know, sometimes we get that phone call about a loved one who has cancer, and they're dying. Unexpected outcome. There's other times in life where we get that information that our spouse wants a divorce. Unexpected outcome. Or that you've lost your job, unexpected outcome. I want to remind you today that God doesn't cause evil in this world, but he can use evil for good. There are unexpected outcomes in our life that God brings to us and then God allows to happen. Throughout life, there are doors that will open and doors that will close. Unexpected outcomes may be a surprise to us, but we can live with confidence as Christians that unexpected outcomes are no surprise to God. Relying on God's guidance throughout our life can help us to overcome challenges and also take advantages of opportunities that are before us. And when we do, we do that to the glory of God. As God opens and closes doors of opportunity throughout our lives, we must remember that he will do so to accomplish his will and his purpose through our lives. I know sometimes a door will close in my life and I am disappointed. And I wonder what God is up to because it feels like he took something away from me that was very suitable to the, my desires and the direction of my life. But then there are other opportunities and times in life where God opens a door and I wonder, wow, what in the world are you doing and why would you choose me to do this? And it's at those times where oftentimes there's two different responses. There are those people who are eager to take on new opportunities in an open door experience. And then there are those who get paralyzed by the open door as they sit and wonder, whoa, how do I go forward 
in this situation or this circumstance. But regardless, every door that opens and every door that closes, we should see as an opportunity to trust God. There was a quote, there was no name to the quote, so I can't share the person's name, but this was the quote, happiness comes not from having much to live on, but having much to live for. It's good, isn't it? Happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. Holiness is, by the way. But when we consider happiness, happiness comes not from having much to live on, but having much to live for. And when we have much to live for, what we find is that we have purpose in life. We will find that when we have much to live for, we're living out a meaningful life, oftentimes on mission. Today we're going to take a look at the beginning of Paul, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And as he began his journey, what we'll find throughout the rest of the book of Acts is that Paul remains a man on mission. Last week, we were at that church council meeting. Remember in Acts 15? As we got a glimpse of this meeting, we recognized two outcomes of the meeting. Number one, that the gospel of grace should never be compromised. And therefore, we can add nothing to God's grace for our salvation. The question at hand was, is circumcision necessary for salvation? And the answer, absolutely not. For God's grace through faith in Christ alone is it. We also took a look at the importance of the unity within the body of Christ in dealing with conflict so that we could resolve to move forward together so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could go forward unhindered. Well, the delegates from Jerusalem are now sent to Antioch of Syria to give the report at the end of Acts 15. And Paul and Barnabas bring the good news as well as some of the leaders from Jerusalem and they spend some time now in Antioch of Syria teaching the Word of God. By the time we get to the end of Acts chapter 15, we're going to pivot and begin to direct ourselves towards Paul's second missionary journey, which he intended to trace the same journey he went on in the first time. But God had an unexpected outcome waiting for him. We'll recognize in the beginning of this time how God opened and closed doors. We're going to recognize how, as Paul began his journey out, that he needed to rely on God's guidance throughout his journey. And as difficult as it is to sometimes take a narrative of Scripture that is more descriptive than prescriptive, descriptive meaning it's just going to tell us about a series of events that happen after the Jerusalem Council and as Paul makes his way on his second missionary journey. It's hard to extract from that sometimes how we apply these lessons to life. But in light of the description of what happened, we are, at the end, going to take a moment 
to look at some life lessons that Paul was able to learn and that we can too apply to our life. So as we begin this morning, we pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to go through this rather slowly, and I'm going to make some observations and some teaching, and we'll get to the life lessons at the end, so hang on for the ride. After some time, this was after Paul Barnabas was in Antioch teaching and preaching the Word of God, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the Word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. As I mentioned, they set out to take the route that they went on their very first journey. Remember, they went through the region of Galatia. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. I want to pause there for a minute because I want to remind you that John Mark also began on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. But by the time they got through Cyprus, remember what John Mark did? He took off and he went home. He deserted the mission. Verse 38, but Paul disagreed strongly with Barnabas. Their disagreement was overtaking John Mark with. Now, Paul was a man on a mission, and that's how he lived the rest of his life, on mission. Nothing would divert the mission of God. Barnabas, on the other hand, remember, he was very relational. He was the encourager. And here we find this disagreement where Paul is saying he will compromise the mission. Barnabas is saying, but he deserves a second chance. Remember, it was Barnabas who gave Paul a second chance and a third chance. It was Barnabas who introduced Paul to the apostles in Jerusalem and and then went to uh, Paul's hometown and invited him to come join him in Antioch of Syria. Paul wasn't having it, though. Absolutely not going to take John Mark on the mission, for he's already deserted us once, and the mission is too valuable to take him again. This disagreement that they have, you notice that it says that Paul strongly disagreed. I just want to take a moment to reflect on how intense this disagreement was. Classic Medical uh, Greek language was used by the author of Acts being Dr. Luke. And and the description of this intense uh, disagreement between the two highlights the the hostile nature of of the verbal exchange between Paul and Barnabas. The language that is is used here is, is one to describe Somebody who's having a a violent spasm. Is that how you're described when you're angry with your family or your spouse? There goes dad again, violently spasming. Another way this was described was having a body-racking cough. You know that cough where you just cough and cough and cough, you can't get your breath in, you're shaking violently? Angry. The last one was an epileptic seizure. The big idea that we're being told here is that there was a very strong dispute between these two. 
Do you recall last week how important it was for the church to be unified? Because without being unified, what would happen? The gospel would be hindered. The goal of unity in the church is so that the gospel goes forth into the world unhindered. But here we have these two men who fought hard for the truth of the gospel and the unity of the church who are now having a strong disagreement. So what's the outcome? Let's check it out. They strongly disagreed because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. They didn't go together. They separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. This is the last time in the book of Acts that Barnabas is mentioned. We notice that their dispute didn't end in a resolution that they could agree on going forward together, but it ended in a resolution upon which they separated and they went their separate ways. I'm really glad that Dr. Luke didn't withhold this from his writing because it's a reminder that even champions in the faith can demonstrate weakness and have their moments too. But from this point forward, it's all about the ministry of Paul advancing the gospel. Paul, verse 16 went first to Derby and then to Lystra. We're in the region of Galatia now, by the way, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Timothy was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Now, it's likely that Timothy became a believer in Jesus Christ on the first missionary journey. And so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Doesn't this seem like a problem and a contradiction? The Jerusalem council was all about not needing circumcision. But the issue before us was not salvation. The issue before us was getting the gospel to go forward unhindered. And so one of the things that Paul asked Timothy to do, because if your mother was a Jew, you were considered a Jew. His father was a Greek, and Greeks found it offensive to circumcise their men. So Timothy was never circumcised. But in order for Timothy to have the ability to enter into synagogue and not be rejected but accepted as one of them, Paul took care of business with Timothy and asked him to be circumcised so that through that sacrifice they could bring the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. This brings us to a place where we get to ask the question to one another, is there anything in your life that you need to take care of 
so that the gospel can go forward through you unhindered. I'll let you sit on that thought for a while. Verse 4, then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day. Now we're going to see how Paul's missionary journey takes an unexpected turn. We've just witnessed doors opening and closing. The doors that closed between Paul and Barnabas was that no longer would they go together, for they would now be two teams instead of one. So God closed one door, but he opened two more. God opened the door for Timothy to join Paul's team. God now is going to open a door, actually close a couple doors from allowing Paul and Silas and Timothy to go where they want to go. And then God opened doors to send them and lead them where he desired them to go. Verse 6, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Now, it's interesting that Paul and Silas, they wanted to take a turn north and head into Asia as they wanted to advance the gospel there. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, no, you're not going north. I'm going to keep sending you west. Then coming to the borders of uh, Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. The Spirit of Jesus keeps sending them west. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Wanting to go north to Asia, God keeps sending them west to Europe. At the seaport of Troas, there's a vision upon which when they cross the sea, they've entered into European territory. Now, we know it as Europe today. It wasn't the European borders that we know of. But Macedonia was their destination, actually the city of Philippi is where they were headed. I want to point out something interesting. First of all, the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The question is, how did the Holy Spirit actually do that? Can I get a drum roll? Here's the answer. We have no idea. Now, you can speculate all you want. The bottom line is we just don't know. And then they continued on mission, and notice it was the Spirit of Jesus who prevented them from going north. And they continued on mission, and it was determined it was God's will that they would go west to Macedonia, to Philippi, to Europe. The oneness of God is represented here in the guiding of Paul and his team. 
through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and God's will being made known to them. As we consider our own lives and how we go through life, may it be that we too are guided by God on all of our journey. Verse 10, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. There are just three observations that I want to make that become life lessons that I believe that Paul learned on his journey that we can directly apply to our own life today. The first one is this, not all endings are happy endings. I know we want happy endings, don't we? But sometimes not all endings are going to end happily ever after. In the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, we have a division. They couldn't get their act together and figure out how to move forward together, so they separated and went their separate ways What sometimes evil brings into our life by way of dissension, God can use for his good, and he does. So God took one team, and now he has two. When it comes to conflict in relationships, work hard to resolve your conflicts. I think that's a life lesson we can take in all of this, that we should work hard to resolve our conflicts. We live in a flight or fight world, don't we? A time of canceling one another. A time where if I don't get my way, then I'm out. I don't believe that this approach to life honors God whatsoever. And it certainly doesn't give us an opportunity to sit with the Lord long enough to allow him to present to us his solutions to our problems. Work hard on your relationships. Do all you can to reconcile with one another. The unity of the church allowed the gospel to go forward unhindered. Unity in our personal relationships allows the gospel to go forward through our lives unhindered. Pray for those you're in conflict with. You can't control them and you can't change them, but you can take control of your life and you can take care of business in your life so that not only do you maintain a right relationship with God, but you do everything you can to maintain a right relationship with one another. Trust that God can accomplish what you cannot. You can't change somebody, but God can. He's in the business of changing people. God will honor your faithfulness to persevere and endure in relationships that are hard. Not related to the context, but related to our context in the world today. I just want to point out one relationship that we need to fight harder for. It's marriage. There's an unprecedented rate of divorce among those who have been married 20, 25, and 30 years. I believe in part 
It's because people were too committed to their marriage and to their children, not committed enough to one another. Because when your children are gone, and that's where your commitment was, or your marriage is what you were committed to, not the person in your marriage, when it's just the two of you and you've gone through 25 years together and you don't know each other anymore, you don't like each other anymore, you don't even know anything about each other anymore, you want to throw in the towel and call it quits. Don't do that. God wants you to fight hard for your marriage, to work hard to mend that relationship. So do your kids. So does the church. So do we want that for one another. Be resolved in our relationships. Work hard so that conflict doesn't divide us. There will be times, however, where we're not going to be able to resolve our conflicts, and this is just the sad reality of life as a result of our sin nature and sin in the world. We, 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 we get to that impasse where we can't agree on how to move forward together. So there will be times where we're going to have to part and go our separate ways. And it's times like that that we recognize in our text today how God can use even the evil and sin in our life for his good. He took a divided ministry team, mission team, who couldn't figure out how to move forward together, and he made two teams out of it. And the gospel was able to go forward into this world in a greater way than it was before. I'm grateful that Dr. Luke left this in here because it's a really good reminder for us that when we make a mess of life, God can clean it up and he can still make good out of the messy that we have made. The second life lesson is that we should invite others to be part of our life. Here, we notice that as Paul was going through Galatia, Timothy, as he calls his young son in the faith, was one that he called to join him on mission and to be a part of his team. We here talk a lot about the blessed life, B-L-E-S-F-S-S. <laughs> the blessed, no, the blessed life. How we've been called and blessed by God to be a blessing to others. We do that as we put the gospel into practice in everyday life. As we pray for others. As we take time with others and we listen to their stories and we meet them where they're at. As God has changed us from the inside out, we become an influence of life change to others. We find time to do life together, to experience things and eat together so that we can build relationships with each other. We serve one another in love, knowing that being the hands and feet of somebody in need is a great way to make Jesus known to others and his love for them. And eventually we can get around to sharing how God has changed us and how he wants to change others too. There's this thing called the be with factor. 
Jesus chose some to be with him, and we too should choose others to be with us. This is what discipleship and practice looks like. Paul was passing through, and Timothy, a young person in the faith, had a good reputation among others, and Paul says, I want you to come and be with me. Jesus chose 12. He had his inner three. The Apostle Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So let me ask you this question. Who have you invited into your life to be an example to, to raise up in the faith? We live in a world where a lot of kids don't have moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. You can be one. My son Josiah happens to spend a lot of time with an older gentleman in the church. He's really not that old, but he's older than me. Dave Stussy. He has taken Josiah under his wing to teach him how to wrench on engines and operate big machinery. And just they do a lot of fun things that a lot of guys and gals would love to do together. I don't think every conversation they have is about the gospel. But I think every life lesson that Dave teaches Josiah is biblical. When we put the gospel in life, we bring interaction with others that shows the change that God made in our life can also become a change in others' lives. And then we demonstrate through the way we teach others to live for God in life. And I'm grateful that Dave is doing that with my son Josiah. Because I know there are things that Dave can say to my son that my son will listen to that I can say and he won't hear. If you're not investing in someone, are you looking to be invested in? If we're not discipling somebody, we should be being discipled by another. We also call this mentoring. The final life lesson is that we should rely on God's guidance through life. There's three ways that we can do this. There's many other ways, but three I just want to highlight today. The first is by relying on the Word of God. The second is by relying on the Holy Spirit. And the third is by relying on godly people in our life. This is how we seek and rely on God's guidance. I think it was demonstrated by Paul on his journey. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. There's no greater instruction manual for life than the very word of God. And if it is going to be the very thing that is a, a lamp to guide us and a light for the path before us, then we must spend time getting to know it. For God's will is revealed to us through his word. The second way we go through life relying on God's guidance is by depending on the Holy Spirit of God who is present in every single believer in this world. Jesus said that he would send the Spirit to us to be our helper 
our comforter, and our guide. In John chapter 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Greek word translated counselor means one who is called alongside to be an encouragement and to build you up. The Holy Spirit that is in us as believers is intended to come alongside us as a counselor to guide us and to build us up to encourage us. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit to do that? The Holy Spirit is also to reveal truth to us. The Spirit's presence within us enables us to understand and interpret God's Word. Jesus told his disciples that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He reveals to our minds the whole counsel of God as it relates to worship and doctrine and Christian living. You don't have to go it alone and try to figure out what the word says as it relates to my life. The Holy Spirit will help you. He's the ultimate guide going before, leading the way, removing obstructions, opening and closing doors, opening the understanding and making all things plain and clear. He leads us in the way that we should go in spiritual matters. Without such a guide, we won't know which way is true. And in this day and age where everybody touts their word to be true. Where do you rely on for what is really true? Hopefully the word of God and the spirit of God. Finally, God guides us through godly people. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Trust in the godly men and women in your life to help you be wise in going through life. When Gwen and I were called to come to Alexandria and to serve this church 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, several doors opened and closed for us to be here. And I'll never forget, as we were going through the process, it was a Wednesday Craig Bierke, who happened to be on the search committee, and he was the chair at the time, called and said, we're going to vote on you on Sunday, and if we vote on you to call you, we need an answer from you. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Gwen and I have committed to care for my grandparents until they are no longer with us. Grandpa had already died. Grandma was in her final life stages. And I said, here's my answer. If Grandma's alive, we're not coming until she dies. But if grandma's dead, then we'll be there. Saturday morning, grandma died. Sunday, you voted to call us here. We said yes. Sometimes doors open and close. Sometimes the doors that close are hard doors. Sometimes the doors that open are scary to walk through. But every door that opens and closes in our life is an opportunity to trust God and to walk our life to the glory of God. 
So when it comes to following God's guidance in life, make sure you turn first and rely on the very Word of God. Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life and the wisdom of godly people. Yield your life to God because I promise you this, that going through life with God will be far better than going through life without God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we take time to just absorb the encouragement we receive today, help us to work hard on our relationships, that our relationships wouldn't be the hindrance of the gospel going forward through us. Help us to see others in our life who we can invest in and invite into our own lives so that they can follow us as we follow you. Help us to be people who rely on your guidance so that we can follow your will for our life and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.